0: Welcome back to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today I'm talking to Diane Spencer on this here podcast, The Comedian's Comedian, the podcast that gets inside the heads of your favourite comics in tremendous forensic depth and tries to establish who they are, what they do, how they cope and uh, whether they really consider themselves a success. And if so, why? Why on earth would they consider themselves a success? That kind of thing. If you're new to the show, uh, there are very nearly 400 episodes to enjoy. There are... Um, and if you're watching, if you're, if you're not... If you're watching, I'd be amazed. If you're listening... Uh, on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as it is, of course, known. Um, I think probably the first hundred and something episodes have dropped off, but you can uh, simply go to a different podcast provider and find them there. If you are a huge fan of Diane Spencer, as some of you will be, she's got a a very healthy number of subscribers on YouTube. And I've gigged with her for a long time. I've, I've known her work for a long time. My interest was particularly piqued Uh, when I worked with her a few months ago and saw that at the end of her shows she was shouting out, um, she was kind of uh, pimping her um, YouTube channel, which I thought was quite novel acts. Don't often say, follow me on YouTube. Um, But uh, if you are new to the show and you're a fan of Diane, then do delve into the back catalogue. And even if you are an old hand uh, of a listener at this show, um, you can still join the Insiders Club for 20 minutes of extra stuff uh, from this episode with Diane. Diane. All of that at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Now, Diane Spencer is attracted to transgression and an avid writer of dirty jokes. And we're going to talk a little bit about whether she has been overlooked for being too filthy, too enamoured of a dirty joke. Um, and we all we will also discuss whether or not it's true that there are lots of reasons for people to hate her. Direct quote from Diane. Really interesting episode this. I've got a lot of respect for Diane's process. Really enjoy her comedy. And I think she has got a really ferocious output. I really enjoy meeting and talking to comics who seize the means of production for themselves and who also really bite down on the the process of gathering an audience, not just to write the jokes and tell them, but also to really get their hands dirty uh, when it comes to uh, creating a following. So loads and loads to enjoy here. Um, We're going to talk about focusing on YouTube. We're going to talk about how to be your own agent and being told We've already got one like you. If you fancy that extra stuff on the Insiders Club, 20 minutes on uh, whether Diane has always been so mentally robust, how she coped with being booed off stage, and also how she feels when contributions from her comedian husband, Kevin Shepard, get laughs. All of that at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Here's Diane. So tell me, you were saying that you are, uh, are you a listener
1: Yes, I really like listening to people and I listen carefully to what they say. But I think, and what I, and as a consequence, people seem to think I come across as either stupid or aloof. Okay. Because. But it's just because I'm listening, and th- and I don't take things in necessarily as quickly as I'd like to. So yeah. I have to sort of write things down quite carefully sometimes if I really want to deliver what the person's asking. Does oh, that make yes, sense? Yes,
0: okay. Yes, so you're quite methodical in that you, like, oh, if you...
1: horribly so. Okay. Yes, what? I'm. S- Go on. <laughs> no, 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 I'm listening. I get it. Inter-
0: why do you say why do you say horribly so? Is that a facet of your personality that you're not keen on?
1: Well, I think I can come across as overbearing, um, and uh, probably even over controlling. Um, for example, I'm currently working with this fabulous stylist who has uh, worked with Ariana Grande and all these fashionable people, and he is very fashion-forward. And hes we're going to do a photo shoot, and he sent me all these pictures, like this mood board going, yeah, so this is it, blah, 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 blah. And I'm literally looking at each photo, and I'm outlining it in either red, orange, or green, because I thought, "Oh, traffic light. And then I was writing little notes on each photo, And he was like, okay, this was more of a mood board. It was more what we are feeling. And I was like, oh, right, yes, okay, right, yes. And and he's just sent me, like, this stream of clothes. And, again, I think I misread too much into it. And I've sort of – he described what I sent him back as a spreadsheet. And I was like, sweetie, if you want a spreadsheet – I can make you a spreadsheet. This is not a spreadsheet. This is this this is me still painting by numbers. This is not a spreadsheet, honey bunny. So, um, but but it's just because I'm trying to not be misunderstood, which okay. is something that I'm very scared about. So I sort of listen intently to people, and I most of the time wait until they. Finished speaking. I'm sorry, Stuart, that I spoke over you. I think it's because I've known you for so long. Um, so, uh, yes. Full
0: so stop. what? Uh, no, okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's what. What? What a what a methodical guest you are. When I finish speaking, I will tell. I will inform the interviewer by saying "full stop" at the end of my sentences. Thank you. Um, yeah. It is. It, I wonder what impact do you think that that quality of yours has on your creativity on your output whether that's on stage because you are you're one of those ferocious output people like an hour of comedy every year bang it out get it out there and then obviously what i what i hadn't realized um so much that you were doing uh, and then you mentioned it when we last saw each other we last gigged together was the youtube channel and obviously since then i've gone and checked it out and gone oh wow this is a big policy decision to go i'm a youtube comedian Right? You're doing bits to camera. Don't write down YouTube comedian.
1: <laughs> you can write I down. I actually wrote Feel down ferocious notes. output and policy because I thought that was an interesting word. I
0: love it. I don't think anyone's ever made notes during into interview before. There is something new to learn from everyone. I think you're going to be guests something like 392. <laughs> and like, oh, another new thing. Brilliant. <laughs> Um, corduroy so,
1: for microphone.
0: Corduroy on your microphone. Very. I really appreciate the MacGyver quality of that. Uh, that quick fix. Um, but I think you know you're clearly someone who has got. Um, you've got a. I feel like you've got a game plan. From the outside, it looks like you've got a game plan. <laughs> uh, I think the listener now should regard any time that there's a, a pause as that's uh, Diane scribbling down the most recent word that I said. <laughs> so. You seem you seem to have a game plan. Is that to do with your methodical nature? Do you think you approach your comedy in a methodical, let's have a spreadsheet, let's have a, a color code system, you know, is that is that part of your work ethic? Discuss.
1: Well, um, it never used to be. I used to be a very fluid, very... uh, I'm still driven by emotion. I'm still driven by passion. I'm driven by joy. And those are the driving forces. I'm driven by anger and all these emotions, which are just impossible. I used to be immensely messy. I used to be very um, sort of start one thing, don't finish it. Uh, Start another thing, don't finish it. And... It was all very kind of uh, intense and energetic and roller coastery. Uh, but that's not necessarily how the rest of the world works. And so when I became a teacher, I became a, a drama teacher when I came out of university and I was teaching secondary school children. Uh, I enjoyed it and I was good at it. And they, they'd offered to give me a qualification on the job. Uh, And it's something now that has um, been disbanded. So my qualification is no longer recognized. Great. Um, And to do that and to pass that, I had to have these folders. And I had to not only teach the class, but I, I then had to record what I was teaching the class. Then I had to analyze what I had done in teaching the class and submit it in a binder. And I had um, a very organized sort of uh, 8.1, 8.2, 8.3. And I had to match all of these tiny little uh, details, even if there was something like 8.4. Oh, offer to help a child off the floor. And it's like, well, a human being would do that. You don't need to, but you had to like mark it down. And so that was sort of the beginning of learning to actually sort of take all of that emotion and focus it into some kind of uh, chrysalis and sort of condense it into something like a structure. And then uh, I wanted to be a writer because I fell out of love with being an actor because I was just I was playing. I was in a Terry Pratchett play and I just thought, I don't believe a fucking word I'm saying. I mean, granted, at the time I was playing a witch. But at the same time which, you've got
0: to tell me I'm a practic <laughs> fan. Which witch were you playing? Do you recall which witch? It was
1: Weird Sisters. Yes. And So
0: you'd have been Magrat, I guess. Or depending on the age of the cast.
1: Was she the tall one? Probably. Uh,
0: Granny Weatherwax? I mean you're a <gasps> shoe. You're a shoe in for Granny Weatherwax, but she's about ninety years older than you. <laughs> oh but...
1: de- no, that's definitely me.
0: <laughs> Fair dues. <laughs> yeah, got it. Okay. I'm I basically that.
1: Miss Marple's shoe. Um, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> So uh she So I was doing that and I thought, I don't believe this. I want to be a writer. So then I focused on being a writer. And again, uh, in order to do that, I read Sid Field's screenplay. I read read Story by Robert McKee. And I read all of these books and it's all about structure, 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 structure. So I kind of had structure being sort of bombarded at me from two different angles. Um, And then when I... uh, I lived in New Zealand for about four years, I emigrated there. And I actually worked for financial services uh, in a university. And it was there that I uh, had to organise meetings, I had to uh record the minutes of those meetings I had spreadsheets I was a project manager I had to work to a very sort of organized schedule and I actually got our department an accounting award <laughs> 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 which my dad just found incredible I like my dad always said that he was immensely delighted when I became a teacher because um he uh bless him I think he was very worried that I wasn't really going to do anything. And he was trying desperately to push me into the Navy for about four years of my life. Because, uh, in his words, you like running around.
0: <laughs> was, was was your dad a naval man or was it sort of a whim? All. No.
1: <laughs> but he thought that'll suit her. She's always energetic. Um, uh, and so, what happened was when I came to stand up, which was in New Zealand when I came to that, it was just so exciting because just the, uh, the emotion behind it is intense because it's such an adrenaline rush, especially the first time you do it. It's, it's a, it's a mixture between terrifying and exhilarating and all of those things. Uh, So what happened was initially it was just about, oh God, it was just about being funny. But then uh, when I realized that Comedians make an hour of material. It was like, okay, so I'll make an hour of material, and I thought, well, it should have some kind of structure. And then what happened was, I thought, right, I really want to do this. And by then, I'd been doing comedy for three years, um, and I initially put my stuff on YouTube as a as for two reasons: one, to say this is what i was doing at this point like a historical record Ugh. i i didn't know if i was going to get anywhere i didn't know if anybody was going to even watch it and second it was kind of my way of giving back because when you are involved in youtube and you watch youtube it really is a community because um there's so much that happens that interconnects and people write to you and they recommend things to you and then you watch one creator and you like what they do but then you realize there are other creators that are similar then you watch something else and it really is a community and then you see sort of creators talking about each other and it's this whole incredible online world so I put my first show on there just to give back because when I was in New Zealand uh, there's only one full-time comedy club In Auckland, and that's the classic.
0: The wonderful classic. The wonderful classic. Currently run by uh, Jeffrey Scott Blanks, who is, uh, uh, I mean, he's definitely who I want to be when I grow up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 100%. 100%. Cross between between him and Kermit. (laughs) (laughs) we'll we'll get into my psychology another time i love the classic it's delightful and when i discovered an hour ago i think that you had begun become a comic you'd begun your comedy journey in new zealand i was like that's awesome lots of great things come out of new zealand i'm an enormous fan of the place
1: oh grand well it uh, do you know what The, the benefit of it uh just to briefly dip out of what we're talking about and dip into something else because we're still on part one, your first question.
0: <laughs> For the benefit of the listener, Diane is showing me her notes.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, uh, the good thing about starting in New Zealand is that because there's only one gig, you can only focus on the writing because you can't have those chats where you go, oh, who's running that gig? Oh, I'll go do that gig. And then you take your Type 5 to that gig. Then you take your Type 5 to the next gig. Type 5, which you would do in London, which is yes. what I discovered when I came here, like, a couple of years later. Um, no, in New Zealand, there is one gig.
0: At that time. I mean, at that means there's a multiplicity time. now, of course. Oh, is yeah, there? Sure. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Wonderful. So there was one gig, and um, it was sort of, you could only get on the Monday night, the Monday Raw and obviously they want to put different comedians on all the time. So you'd, you'd sort of sit down, you'd meet the other people who wanted to be comedians and we'd all chat about what you're working on. And you'd all sort of talk to each other about jokes and like how you could make it work and, and what you could do to make it better. And you'd be like, yeah, that's really great. I'm looking forward to when I can try that in about six weeks. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was all about the writing. So So part of the ferocious output, I think, is because... I started in a place where gigging multiple times a week was not an option. Mm -hmm. So you would, well, I would write as much as I could. So when I got that opportunity to gig, I'd end up producing a whole new set. Uh, And then um, it's actually something similar to what happened to uh, Dawn French and Jennifer Saunders. I uh, was watching a documentary about them. And they didn't realise that you could do the same skit every night. Yeah, so they sure. were constantly yeah. writing new material because they thought, oh, we'd better do something different. And then they sort of looked at each other and went, I think the boys are doing the same thing every night. <laughs> 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 and they're getting these amazing laughs every night, whereas sort of Dawn French and Jennifer Saunders were coming up with new material all the time. Um, uh, so when I decided to be a comic... I thought, right, I'll... Again, I did the same thing. I thought, oh, well, I've just done an hour and I want to now do another. I better start working on the next hour. So I just started working on the next hour and booking myself, I thought, I should probably do some kind of festival tour. And so I just sort of applied to all these festivals around the Pacific, like Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney, and back to New Zealand again. So I decided that I wanted to do like a Pacific tour and go around the festivals like Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney, New Zealand. And instead of taking the show I'd already written, I thought, right, I better write the next hour. (laughs) So you could say it's stupidity. You could say it's ignorance. You could say it's naivety. Um, And then once I had that second hour again, I thought I'll put it onto YouTube. Um, So it only turned into a game plan... Later, when I realised that people were writing back to me and I realised that I did have this group of people that liked what I did. I mean, obviously, there's a group of people who kind of watch what you do and they go, "Ah, that's rubbish. Fine, great, good, go watch something else. Um, But there's a whole group of people who love what I do. And it's so exciting. And then later on, after I sort of recorded and uploaded about... For maybe five or six of them because I've got eight now and I'm just working on the ninth I have slowed down the output a bit for my own sort of mental health and plus when you actually do get to gig regularly and you're earning money it's weird you you actually have in a weird way uh less time because I like to create this whole artistic kind of rainbow around each show um so I realized that some of my fans were asking if I was dead And I thought, oh, dear. They were like, are you dead? Because I've watched your shows and now I can't see anything for this year. And I'm just wondering if you're okay. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) And when, like, a few too many people asked if I was dead, I thought, I'll make a little video and see how that goes. That went well. And so I thought, oh, I'll make another one. But then, as per usual... I went overboard and I I sort of become like a ferret of a drainpipe. I'm just like, oh, my God, I can add animations. Let's learn how to use this free animation software. Let's learn how to use this editing software. And now, like, I make these animations and these videos and things that go with other videos, And I'm writing my stand-up show. So in terms of a game plan, as I got a certain number of YouTube subscribers, YouTube starts inviting you to events. Okay. And because I love learning and because I love sort of discovering new things, I thought, right, well, I'm going to go. And they did this really weird session where they were saying, right, um, how to build your YouTube brand. But the funny thing was they didn't seem to know. So, we were all sat around a table, all us YouTubers going, uh, thumbnails are good? Like, we're all sort of <laughs> <laughs> looking at each other, asking questions, and yeah, no, okay. And, but I did learn a lot from that. So, I learned that when people come to my channel, they can see the different thumbnails, suggest what type of video they're going to watch. Also, you have to pick good titles. And there's so many videos that help you. Learn how to do things if you're just willing to take the time to watch them. So it may look like I have a game plan. I think I actually do secretly, but I don't think I've let myself in on it. Um, hmm. Uh, No, I do have a game plan. Yes. Yes, I think I do. Uh, But ever since the pandemic, it sort of put the brakes on everything.
0: Okay. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. I would have imagined that during the pandemic, you would have been free to run around the internet, chucking out loads of content and learning to your heart's content. You seem to me like one of those people who uh, has been boosted, probably. That was my assumption, that during the pandemic, you're in a room with your editing software and you just go for it.
1: No. You see, what is important to, I suppose, note is that I'm always driven by emotion and my main driver is actually joy and happiness and I know that there are some comedians who are incredible at writing stuff that comes out of grief and anger I am actually not one of them like I need to be in quite a happy jolly place and then I can create something and happy and jolly for everybody else when the pandemic happened I was and we were in lockdown I was so shocked and traumatized at having this thing that I'd fought for, this thing that I had earned and I'd fought for and I'd made excuses to people and I'd said, no, this is what I want to do. This is this is my thing just pulled out from under me. It was such kind of a shock to the system uh, that I actually found it quite hard to write anything. I'm currently now getting back into it. Uh, so I mainly spent lockdown... Um, meditating uh exercising um baking i but like i I didn't make banana bread because we didn't have any eggs in our neighborhood (laughs) so i made sort of mainly fudge and did some sewing
0: okay okay and and in terms of the like the track between your live stand-up because you do you you know you you do a show every year you i've seen you've had incredible reviews for your shows and so you're one of those kind of permanent fixture at the Edinburgh Festival. Diane's here, new concept, five-star reviews, kicking ass. There's that kind of track of your career, the live stuff and the, the kind of the joy from the live stuff. And then there's also now the parallel track of the the focus on YouTube when we gigged together recently. Mm. And you finished by saying... Give me a subscribe. Drop me a subscribe on YouTube, which is quite Mm. an unusual thing. Lots of comics will go follow me on Twitter, follow me on Instagram, but specifically funneling them into YouTube. I remarked at the time that's quite an interesting idea, or quite. I mean, that's a that's something. You used the
1: word "spruik," and I loved it. So I was like, (laughs) "Oh, that's a throwback (laughs) to my." Australia, New Zealand yes. days. Spruik. For the
0: uneducated listener, spruiking is when you stand outside of a shop in a mall in Australia <laughs> and corral people into your shop as if you're Mark Rothman getting people into Top Secret in the early days. You, come and see a show. You, get in here. That's called spruiking. <laughs> um, I believe it's S-P-R-U-I-K. I think that's to spruik. Yeah, get that get that written down, to <laughs> Diane Spencer.
1: I... With an I,
0: yeah, spruik. S P R U I K. I've always assumed so, and I—that uh, is
1: a very interesting uh, word. That might
0: be based on something. Anyway, you were spruking your YouTube channel, and um, and so there are these parallel tracks. And one of the things I I wanted to ask you about was: I'm curious about the relationship between you as a lauded, celebrated, award-winning stand-up. You and,
1: are so kind. Oh well,
0: those things are all true. <laughs> Um, and the relationship between that and TV. Oh. Because one of the things that that YouTube allows comics to do is ignore the gatekeepers of TV. And I wondered what your relationship was with the gatekeepers of TV. Because you're one of those people who I look at you and I go,
1: why isn't Diane on TV? Oh, thanks. I don't know. Um, it's the short answer. Um, well, I've always tried to um, write sitcoms and I very recently sort of let that go because I really put a lot of time and effort into a sitcom idea that I had and I even made like a taster little mini web series of it uh it was called galaxy ball and it was about uh dogs that play sport in space (laughs) and um... hello
0: Netflix you're (laughs) greenlit
1: well I It, it was about the um the alien team who come to earth to coach the dogs. And the point is, is that the first animal in space was a dog.
0: Okay. So
1: therefore, dogs are the dominant species of our planet, right?
0: Understood. Yep. Yep.
1: Yeah. So I made a little web series on that. I made all the dog costumes. It's very cute. Um, uh, but I just couldn't get it. I just couldn't get it into where people like I even uh, we even did a reading a script reading where we had people from different production companies come Mm -hmm. so in terms of being a writer I've always sort of just not managed to get past that post of being developed Mm. um I wrote a pilot for I've written several pilots actually for uh an idea based on my show called power tool which is where I wrote a play for Nancy DeLolio. okay um and I specifically wrote that show on YouTube in six parts. When you watch that show, uh, it's actually in six parts as a stand-up show if you've got that kind of X-ray vision. Okay. And uh, because I wanted to transfer it into a sitcom because Nancy is this kind of uh, D-list, like, glamour who dated sven Goren Eriksson – I'm this comedian who at the time had just moved into a house where we found a dead man's um, uh, liquid body shadow under a rug. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, previous owner. And uh, we found, like, bits of um, Nazi memorabilia in the shed. And so we just... And there were no radiators, no double glazing. The whole house was falling down. um, And that's the house that we could afford. So... (laughs) we got that and it was bizarre because I had to go from like this decrepit house to the ivy to work with Nancy to then go back to my freezing cold decrepit house and she used to say to me Diane why do you eat so much when you come to see me and I thought it's because I can't afford food Um, (laughs) (laughs) um So, yeah. So um, I've always sort of been knocking on that door in terms of acting, though. I've a very fantastic acting agent and she's always trying to get me in front of people. So who knows Stu? who Well, knows?
0: The, the, I mean the question I'm asking and you mentioned acting, we may come back to that because I looked at your Spotlight profile because I followed a, a link from your excellent website, which I also note has a tab as well as gallery, bio, <laughs> clips. It's got I hus- do my
1: website. It's got a
0: clip it's got a tab that says husband. So we'll talk about um, <laughs> the wonderful <laughs> Kev Shepherd in a little while perhaps. I mean, I wouldn't normally bring up people's partners who are also comedians, but maybe we'll get to Kev as some insiders content because you you brought it up by having a husband tab. No, I
1: think you um, should.
0: Um so I looked at your spotlight thing and I remember it's so funny like I filled in a I don't think I'm in spotlight anymore but I was a I was a I was a let's say capable actor. I was working for a few years love, but I remember <laughs> filling in accents and dialects, music and dance and I thought here's oh. a good game. Here's a good game. We I could I could read some out and you could tell me whether they're true. <laughs>
1: don't you dare. Oh my God, right? go on then. Um, yep. No,
0: no. I mean, the big one is horse riding because a lot yes! of people, a lot of people, put down horse riding thinking, "Yeah, I'll, I'll learn. If I get a gig, I'll learn." You can horse no, ride. You can ride a horse.
1: I've ridden a horse, a famous horse that was in Lord of the Rings.
0: Very good, ridden a famous not, horse. Not even that joking. Go on.
1: And it was great. And we were, we were there, we were riding, and the instructor, because other people were a bit nervous, but she gave me the biggest horse, and I was like, "This is amazing." And then she said. Do you want to go run through the sheep? Because there was this like big <gasps> flock of sheep, and I was oh, like, "Yes, please. Yes. And we just went <laughs> and we powered down in these horses. and I, I know that's bad because like the sheep would have been like, "Oh no, but there was something so yeah. exciting about it, I'm sorry.
0: So this is Diane. She's tremendous fun. We're having a really good uh, conversation here, and I, what I like is that, as you probably heard at the very beginning of the interview, we were kind of uh, poking fun at one another's uh, uh, editing process. <laughs> and I really like that. I really like when people kind of uh, like the fact that she started making notes on the podcast at the very beginning of the podcast. Huge fan, huge fan of that. So, um, lots more from Diane soon. Remember, go to comedianscomedian.com to find out everything you need to know about the podcast, as well as accessing the Insiders Club content. Now, we've got things on there like the exclusive Insiders Q&As with Nish Kumar, James Acaster in the middle of last year, Fern Brady, Alfie Brown. We did a brilliant, brilliant self-help for Comedians special with Amanda Donnett, and there's going to be more. Amanda and I are cooking up uh, more projects for them. Some will be Insiders only, some will be public, and having had a break I am now renewed and have a bit more energy and uh, maybe slightly changing the way this podcast works in the future Um, but also god I'm in danger I'm sending myself up here I always think of an onion headline from a few years ago which was simply podcaster solemnly swears to improve the sound quality next time which I thought was very good I'm currently wearing a t-shirt from the 2015 LA podcast festival so I feel like a right old hand at it Um, but I think I am in danger of continually telling you that there will be uh, a new there's new stuff in the pipeline there's a lot of stuff in the pipeline that is my head how much of it actually happens remains to be seen but I think I think we're going to go to doing seasons because I think it's uh, I think I'll go less mad but that's good I think I will focus on the show differently now before we move on do you have an audacious mind that's an interesting thing isn't it an audacious mind you've definitely got a mind is it an audacious one? And if it is, would it benefit from a mentorship? Well, Forecast are calling on you for ideas. If you are interested in storytelling and humour and you have a project idea you'd like mentorship on, Forecast have opened applications which will feature Deliso Shaponda as a mentor. Now, Deliso is well known to us, fabulous comic, brilliant, brilliant guest on this show. Um, and he is working with Forecast. They are an international mentorship programme that offers artists and creative thinkers, the aforementioned Audacious Minds, the chance to work with accomplished mentors towards bringing their projects to fruition. You can now apply for Forecast's seventh edition. Each edition is year long. It lasts an entire year. After project proposals are submitted, the mentors will invite three nominees each to workshop ideas and then present them this summer at the Forecast Forum in Berlin. Each mentor then chooses one mentee whose project will be further accompanied to completion and presented in Berlin at the Forecast Festival. So this is a really exciting thing. If you want to receive expert mentorship from Deliso Chaponda, then find out more information at forecast-platform.com. The deadline for applications is Sunday, the twenty-seventh of February. So get your skates on. That's Forecast. Mentorship for audacious minds. I nearly said audacious then. It does look like that. But no, the minds involved are audacious. You can find out more at forecast platform.com/slash open/call. So let's get back to Diane Spencer, who you can find by searching on YouTube for Diane Spencer Comedian or simply going to YouTube.com/slash Diane Spencer Comedian. Or one word, go to Diane for her website. .tv. I believe they're registered in Tuvalu. Is that where we get that cool little dot com-esque suffix. I think it's in Tuvalu. You can follow me at ComComPod on Twitter and Instagram. Go to ComediansComedian.com. And if you want to know more about me and all the kind of head-squeezing stuff I'm doing um, with insights from over 400 comedians as my quest to sweat the assets continues, you can go to StuartGoldsmith.com. Let's get back to Diane Spencer. What I want to get onto is not your TV writing or your um, your uh, potential TV acting, but it's stand-up. Because you do this very celebrated, lauded stand-up and yet you are... I haven't seen you do any stand-up on TV. Do you feel overlooked for TV stand-up? Have you done some? Have you tried some? What's your theory on why that hasn't happened as much for you?
1: I... My theory is... <sighs> I think that in order to get on TV, you do need to have an agent, because I think that agents are very good at presenting you to the TV people. Mm -hmm. And I have got a stack of rejection letters that I'm quite proud of from various agencies. Some of them I've got repeat uh, refusals, and I wonder whether... I don't know what it is I, I've got several theories as to what it could be why people don't want to represent me and I think one could be perhaps they just think uh I do you know I wonder if I come to them and they think she's going to be difficult she she's she's too in control and I, I could understand that. Like if I come to them and I say, "Here is my YouTube channel. Here is my website. Here are the things that I'm planning to do." They might think, "Well, what is there for me to do?" But there's that's so much madness.
0: That's is madness. Is that madness? Yes, that's mad. Strike that. That can't be. Okay.
1: The um, so there's that. I I think my main theory for somebody not representing you is that they think they can't make money off you. Okay. Which I. think think for me is incorrect. But what I've started doing is whenever I get a gig, I'm putting 70% of my earnings into my savings account. And I am keeping 30% for myself. And I am seeing if I could live off my earnings um, as my own agent. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, my God, that's so you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) So... Yeah, so I, I thought well I will do this as a fun experiment and see how I'm doing and I'll be honest with you sometimes I'm like I need to keep that fee I can't yes
0: for sure but come on agents have multiple clients they don't make they their, do
1: they know. do but there's there's nothing wrong with sort of giving yourself a good sort of
0: it's a good uh, challenge
1: it's a good challenge because you can you can look at yourself and say well how how much how much did I earn in a live sense, because when you do TV, obviously, that's something different. Um, I have tried out for TV programs before. Um, I was once with, oh, poor Sue Perkins. She had a migraine on the day we were doing this panel show tryout. And I was sat with her sort of uttering nice, comforting things under a toilet door because poor love was being sick. I don't think Sue Perkins would mind me saying she had a migraine once. (laughs) No, I wouldn't have thought so. (laughs) No, but um, it's not pertinent to the story. Um,
0: I'll be the judge of the pertinence. <laughs> That's a good point
1: That's a very good point. There we go. That could be the reason maybe I judge what's pertinent and I'm wrong.
0: Well I don't know I mean God, just I, I've got my own I've got I've got a suggestion for a theory but I want Please to hear the, tell I want me. to hear the rest of your theories you said you had several. I don't want to squash any of yours by saying mine. So the first um, one was you think there might not be enough for an agent to do. And I, that can't be the case. Like you're, you're funny and direct and imaginative and really hardworking. And agents want clients that are going to come with a load of, you know, channels and uh, audience and all that kind of stuff. Surely.
1: Uh, that's what I thought.
0: Disclaimer, I'm not an agent. I don't know how they think. Yeah. But well, yeah. Okay.
1: Agents do talk very differently to how we talk. Yes. So comedians, we have a certain, we talk and like you could always recognize somebody else from your tribe and we have a lot of shortcuts as in any industry. When I'm talking, because I do have a very good acting agent and Mm -hmm. I think she's brilliant. And when I talk to her though, the rhythm of her speech is very different. And she reminds me much more of my friend who is a TV producer and the way she talks. So there's definitely a different rhythm. Um, uh, Another theory. I don't, uh, another, oh, another thing, which is not a theory because it's actually happened. Somebody went, no, we've got one like you. And they okay. literally said, we've already got one, something like you. How
0: long ago was that?
1: That was a while ago.
0: Because pre-pandemic. That, yes. Oh, oh, pre-pandemic. I'd have said 10 years. You know, but that's kind of that. Surely that we've got one like you mentality is changing. Surely.
1: You hope so. 'Cause it was like so you can only have one and the person that they said was like me is not like me. And I Kevin was Kevin like, Bridges. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually a Lily. Oh my god. <laughs> no. So um uh,
0: So what the person they said was like you was what? A a kind of high status lady? Or what um, was what was the A Scottish f-
1: lady with red okay. hair. Okay. That does narrow it down substantially. It
0: does a little. Um, Okay. And they were like, okay, we've got a red haired woman.
1: Yeah. We were like, we've already got this. God. Not this. Okay. Swipe, whichever way you swipe. I don't know. Um, So the third theory. When I have spoken to people who seem to be on the up and up, they have, a, again, although they're comics, they do have a very different way of talking. And I don't know whether that's the way that they're talking at me, but I do feel like I'm being spoken at, not spoken with or to. Mm-hmm. And I wonder whether I just can't communicate in that way. And I'll be honest with you, it does feel like arrogance. Mm hmm. I'm sure that I, I'm sure I'm like, I I don't think people mean to be arrogant most of the time. Um, So, uh, and this comes back to me being misunderstood. Like I'm I'm always like worried that somebody will think I've come into it without good intention Mm -hmm. um, because 95% of the time I've got good intentions. I mean, yeah, nobody's perfect. Um, So yeah, I don't know. I, I wonder whether I don't sit there and properly pitch myself. I remember one meeting I had and the woman sort of sat there and went, so uh, we could, uh, we did this for Eddie Izzard, we did this for Eddie Izzard, we did this for Eddie Izzard, we did this for Eddie Izzard. And then she sort of looked at me and was quiet. And I went, but I'm not Eddie Izzard.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So what would our plan be? And she yeah. went, I did all that for Eddie Izzard. And that was like, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wait, stop, stop. We're apples and oranges. Stop. So I don't know. I don't know, Stu. That but I'm not, okay. I'm
0: okay. Well, no, I'm, for sure, for sure. And yeah. we'll, talk about, we'll talk about that because you have, you are someone who is very uh, impressively seizing the reins of your own career. And it could well be you're at a stage where I was talking to Foil Arms and Hogg on this podcast. I don't know if sure. you know those guys, they're fantastic. Um, but they have a thing whereby their agent is one of their old schoolmates. And he just, he's just learned how to be an agent looking after them. And it's, it's brilliant. It's a fantastic self-contained system. And that thing is, you know, the, the, gatekeepers are less of a thing and even when you're on telly now people on telly if you want to be on telly they want someone with loads of youtube subscribers or loads of followers on something so you know what i mean it's all it all swings around abouts but i think it, my theory my pet theory not knowing you well just kind of seeing you from the outside was i wondered whether it was something to do with i've got a couple of pet theories the most specific to you personally is that maybe it's to do with you're quite dirty you're quite oh, filthy. you yes, You're quite and that—that that was one and, of and
1: the theories. You
0: really embrace it, and <laughs> I wonder if people think, "Well, I don't," you know. I mean, I, I, and I'm and I'm saying this that I wonder if they think this because they're fucking sexist. Is like it's absolutely fine for men to be as filthy as you are, or or whether there is something like if you are dirty. As, as an act, I mean, I don't, you know, I mean, you've got what was your exquisite bad taste was one of your show titles. You know, you you do it with class, but it's pretty filthy. And I think that's one of those things. It makes it easier for people to overlook you if you're a woman in a deeply sexist kind of way. And I wonder as well whether it, it can come across a bit like you're a club comic. And, and I, I love club comics, but I think you and I know there is a sort of snobbery about club comedy in the industry. So, I mean that was I don't know what whether that's right or wrong, as I said, I'm not an agent. I don't know how they how they think.
1: Um, I definitely do love to write a saucy joke, and that's because that's what I find really. I find things funny like that. Like, I've yeah. tried to watch people who do clean comedy. And although I can sit there and I can appreciate what they're doing, in a technical sense, I will get bored after about five or seven minutes. And I, like, I do – I really like – uh edgy stand up but i prefer sort of social commentary stand up as opposed to political stand up i like social commentary stand up which i think has a longer shelf life than topical comedy mm-hmm. uh because political comedy obviously you know um today's news tomorrow's fish and chip papers so uh, it it can be a bit uh, 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 but yeah. uh i'm yeah i'm definitely rude i'm definitely and I, I initially, the first time I got reviewed, and she, the woman described me as shock, and I thought shock, why, who, what? And I was, I was surprised that I got described as shock because I just thought, but I just thought it was funny, and then she, and then shock, rude, filthy, and I was like, because these were historically to me bad words, and but I didn't think anything that I said was. Shock or rude or filthy? I, because I never really analysed what I was saying. If that makes sense. Yeah. Which is yeah. yeah, yeah I know.
0: It's I it, no, no, no. I, I get like.
1: No, God, what? what? Blind. Well, um, no,
0: I don't think you sound blind, but I do think that you are attracted to transgression. Do you know what I mean that's part yes. of the joy? That's part of where you find your pleasure in in doing it—is saying awful things and getting a laugh out of it. <laughs> and uh, and I I just wonder whether. And I do think there are... I, I can think of more male comics than do this, that do this than female comics. And I wonder if there is, a, there is a kind of misogyny or a snobbery in seeing a woman say something shocking. I think sometimes it is my, it is my understanding that people who pick comics to go on TV don't necessarily spend a lot of time in comedy clubs because they're too busy producing TV shows, a lot of which happen at night. When are they going to go to the clubs, right? And it's a a source of endless frustration for comics who do comedy in clubs. You know, you could be doing your best set in the best club in the world and there's not necessarily going to be anyone in there from TV. But I was doing um, a pilot for a, a panel show that I'd created and I was sat down with the producers and they said, right, who do you want on the show? And I thought, well, I said, well, God, I mean, off the top of my head, I can't think of anyone. Is, is there like a big list of comedians? And they said, we normally use this. And they opened the Wikipedia page of Have I Got News For You guests. And I was like, oh, oh, that's wow. how it works from your perspective. You need people who are on telly to be on the show because the point of the pilot is to convince commissioners to to commission it. And obviously, to convince commissioners, you want people the commissioners recognise. So yeah. the big list of available people is anyone who's done Have got, I I've Got News For You. Now, I'm not suggesting that's a policy decision on their part, so much as there was me. I mean, I, I should have rattled off ten names of people I think are brilliant who need a chance, you know. Um, but it just made me or, go, oh, yes.
1: you should edit the Wikipedia page.
0: <laughs> right. No, we're definitely deleting that and we're doing it. <laughs> um, so... I think that um, I think that there is there is necessarily because TV people are busy making TV. There is necessarily maybe a lack of imagination or a propensity to kind of tick people off the list because it reduces the work one has to do. Do you know what I mean if you go who are we looking at and you go then, Oh, she's a bit filthy. Next, and people can make decisions like that. Now, oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not saying that's been done to you, and nor am I saying Diane, you should give up. You've blown it because you like doing dirty jokes <laughs> by any means. But I am interested in whether you think there's any any truth in that or, or whether there's likely to be or whether I'm barking up the wrong tree.
1: Do I think there is truth in being discounted immediately because I'm filthy? Yes. I know it has actually happened because I know I was on okay. a long list for a certain festival and apparently a routine I did about cystitis was just too much. But how tastes have changed, I've noticed. Yeah. Um, so,
0: well, they have, haven't they? Because, and I think that's have. because I think that's because <laughs> the idea of a woman talking about cystitis being too much is rooted in sexism. And hopefully things in comedy are becoming a bit less sexist. There are more women in positions of power. There are more female voices in comedy. So maybe things are changing and you just got there too soon before things had changed.
1: Ah, but where am I going? Is the question. So it's actually not, did I get there too soon? Because did I arrive at a place that I was meaning to go? Yes. I went to the Edinburgh Festival. Do I think, um, and I did my show and it was a very theatrical show. And the goal for me was to create a theatrical show. So I had a set. It was a story. The shape of it was very specific. I have synesthesia. So I think of things in terms of shapes and colors and blah, blah, blah.
0: Let me clarify what I mean. Not that you got there too soon. I mm. just think that the stuff, I, I wonder if you are a victim of sexism in that you've been overlooked for stuff because you're filthy in a way that it's fine for a man to be. Um, and I'm also suggesting that maybe that is less the case now, but your position, those decisions were made five years ago when it was more the case.
1: I would say you're definitely right that the tastes have changed. I do believe that. um, I think uh, a comedian called London Hughes, I think she won a prize. And her show is called To Catch a Dick. Now, um, that uh, is an indication that, yes, tastes have definitely changed and I haven't been to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival for a while I'm not saying oh well if I went in rolling in oh god I'd clean up no I'm not saying that at all but I'm saying that yeah you're potentially right I would I would receive um uh less eyebrow raising uh yeah. which is always fun um to receive so I think definitely things have moved on which is funny because at the same time you have this uh You have universities uh, protesting against uh, speakers. Uh, You have people who are using the word word woke in entirely the wrong way because they're using it as uh, a word to describe a bad thing, to describe uh, people um, shutting down free speech. And I don't think that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, so, So at the same time, there is more liberation uh, for people to say things when you said about when you said about doing filthy comedy in a way that a man would the way that I do my filthy comedy is I try desperately to not necessarily use innuendo but I really want to paint the most vivid picture I can without using the actual words does that make sense okay so for example I've got this and I I like to spring my filthiness on them as a surprise I don't want you to know it's going to be filthy I like to just sort of throw it at you Mm -hmm. and hopefully you catch it and you giggle and that's the point um one of the things uh for example okay so there's a new bit that I've got and i say that i'm a very cold person and i say my husband says it's like getting into bed with a raw chicken and then i sort of people usually sort of laugh at that and at the same time they go uh and they laugh and then i say i assure you i am not as well plucked and that could be
0: <laughs> but you could
1: interpret plucked in two ways you could yes, interpret sure. it as in oh she's doing it she's doing a play on words on Fucked. No, I am could be talking about everything that's hairy from the neck down. Sure. But either way, they're filthy and it's kind of a filthy interpretation. I don't know many comedians, male or female, who are so decorative with their filth. And here is where I will be arrogant <laughs> and I will be pretentious. I am very decorative with my filth. I'm very... I like to be artistic. I don't like to just slam people in the face with it. I like to go. Oh, look! Here is the filth pie I have created for you. Notice little the icing around the edges. Like, <laughs> I like it to be curated. I like it to be elegant. I like it to be, you know, a, all the shades of blue. Like, I I went and saw some. I was doing a gig in the middle of London. And one of the newer spots in the middle, she came on and she talked about porn and masturbating. I am 100% behind this. It was very funny. The problem was she kept repeating the word porn. She kept repeating the word masturbating. And then the only time she changed it was she, she said pornography or wank. And as a consequence, the audience started to retreat. mm mm-hmm because even whether despite your gender you can still just put something too heavy you can just layer it too heavy and so i like to sort of have sort of a baklava of filth do you know what i mean sort of light flaky pastry with a topping of nuts lovely and it's a little bit sticky um i yeah, that's what I like to do. I like yes.
0: to yes, yes, I, I, absolutely right. I, I agree with all of those things, and I, I would also just point out that I, uh, when I I didn't mean that uh, you do filth like the next bloke. I just meant that men get away with doing filth on stage. I think that's, that, that's the kind they of sexism They can get away with some that, horrendous they things. They can get away with horrendous things. And my point is that I think you doing beautifully decorative frilly filth or whatever, however you want to describe it. it made, I love that expression, all of the shades of blue. I mean, well, that what a show title for you. That's great. Um, but uh, but I think, um, I just think that the sexism comes into it when, when you are judged more harshly for your filth because you're a woman.
1: I'm a woman. I'm... Um okay I'm a woman I'm a white woman I'm a redhead uh, historically should have been burned as a witch um, that's not I... why i
0: burn you as a witch
1: <laughs> oh there's plenty of reasons um, yeah and also I don't have any particular regional accent as a consequence of moving around a lot when I was younger so I can come across as posh which is you know so there's <laughs> another comedian once said to me "Die." you've got to be careful because there's a lot of reasons why people can hate you. And I sort of looked at him and I thought, oh, this is fun. And I said, oh, okay. Like, cause he was, this was him genuinely trying to help me. And I went like, what? And he went, you've got a lot working against you. Uh, you're skinny. That's a problem. Uh, you're filthy. Um, you're posh. And you're Australian. <laughs> and I was like, Right. Okay. This is this is going well. I don't think I'm going to hire this man as my director. <laughs>
0: Yes, yes, but there isn't the whole point of comedy is that the loser can win, the the weapons can be... It's guerrilla, isn't it? It's You use your apparent disadvantages as strengths.
1: Well, that's why I just go out there and I radiate me. I'm well, like... you do,
0: you do, but this is... I mean, this was the whole reason for this line of questioning was I totally agree with you and you do, and it's just you're one of those people that I'm frustrated that I don't see you on TV because oh. I think you're... Do you know what I mean? Like, you do or you do have those things. That is, You have, I tell you, what you do have is a strong flavour... And I think that's what TV wants.
1: Oh, well, don't. Well, tough, tough shit for them. Haste you.
0: <laughs> so what is your, like, how do you do it? What does it look like? Your, when you, when you, do you sit down to write? Are you in your laptop? Are you making notes as you walk around the place? What does it look like? And what, what have you, what's changed about how you first wrote jokes to how you write jokes now?
1: Okay, so what it looks like when I'm writing jokes is, uh, Initially, I start with my book. Now, when I'm doing a lot of a lot of writing, uh, I'll start with a book much like this. I actually did uh, a YouTube video on this called "How I Write My Jokes." Oh, I uh, see.
0: <laughs> Should we perhaps simply direct people to it?
1: No, no, no. I'm happy to sort of condense it very quickly. Okay. So, um, uh, oh, I will. Oh my
0: word! That is a so. What we're looking at is an A4 uh, pink ring binder. And it yes. has... Oh, it's, it's it's not a ring binder, is it? It's, it's a bound notebook with a little... Sp- it's a spiral bound notebook, I believe that's called. And yes. every page is full of dense, tiny handwriting.
1: Yes. So this will be the um, the stream of consciousness writing. Okay. So uh, that's really good because it will help me sort of just organise things, get things out my head. And then I'll try to gently steer myself onto writing my jokes. Moving on to the perfect bound red A-form notebook. This is my favourite kind of joke book because uh, it's also slightly laminated so you can rest your coffee cup on it and it won't (laughs) leave a mark. And it folds up neatly, which fits into a handbag. And so then in this one, you can see that gaps start appearing. And Uh. this is where I'm sort of uh, writing uh, These are the, the gaps
0: in between. These are paragraph breaks. So this is no longer automatic stream of consciousness. These are chunks. Okay. These
1: are chunks and uh, they can also go into uh, lists. They, uh, We can go into spider diagrams and this is where sort of the jokes get worked on. This is where I'll do like a lot of wordplay uh, where I'll um, sort of work over an idea again and again and again and sort of cut it up with little diagrams and really sort of get into the nub of it. Like sometimes if I want to write something completely new and I don't want to start by writing the stream of consciousness, I'll sort of make a list like, okay, 12 things that I am right now. What am I? Uh, what um, am I doing? And then I'll like write the 12 things and then, uh, is there anything there? Uh, <laughs> and then sometimes I'll draw a picture of a donkey. It's going really well. Um, so uh, so that's how I write now. And then uh, what I'll do is, uh, again, there's always a starting point of something that's happened in my life. It has to be, it can be an actual thing that's happened or it can be an emotion I felt at that something that's happened. So it could be something that's happened to me or an emotion I felt. Um, in terms of how my writing has changed... I think Zoe Lyons said it really best um, to my husband, Kevin. My husband, Kevin, is a stand-up comedian, but he also directs other comedians. And he was directing Zoe Lyons, and they were sort of talking and chatting about writing. And he told me that Zoe said, as you write more, you get quicker at saying what doesn't work for you. Yes. And I think that's really accurate, really good. And uh, she's right there. She's very, very right. Um, So how it's changed for me is, number one, what Zoe said. I've got better at cutting out what doesn't work. But also, I've got used to how I do things. And so I've been able to create shortcuts. For example, I'll often write a joke the wrong way round. Okay. Okay. I'll put the wrong word in the middle and I should put that word at the end. I will often go too deep into a subject and suddenly I realize that, okay, the setup is now far too big. We really need to trim this down. And I've got used to kind of going, well, actually, what am I joking about? What is, what is the point of the joke? And you have to kind of do all this whilst keeping a mischievous little smirk in your mind. <laughs> I love that. That's so well put. Yes. Because <laughs> the second you get too serious going, what's the meaning of what I'm doing? You're not writing jokes anymore. You're writing some kind of article. So you yes. have to stay mischievous and curious and naughty and transgressive in that sort of m- mood all the way through, I think. Yeah.
0: Thank you. What a fantastic answer. That was so comprehensive. That, I think, will change the way I ask going forward because there were some really good, I like the idea of lists as kind of, I should be asking people each time, what techniques do you do to get you out of a hole? Do you know what I mean? Kind of like uh, those Kickstarter things, switch to a mm. list, start doing that. That's really useful. Always having a starting point that's an event or an emotion. That's a really interesting idea. Are also- there... go gone?
1: Well here's one more for you a um, little takeaway uh, if you've already written a bit, write the opposite um, I listened to your uh, Catherine Bohart uh, oh yeah one and um, uh, I oh, absolutely the loved thing. the debate thing yes yeah, absolutely fantastic um, and uh, how you have you get the subject in the yet 15 minutes sometimes I time myself. I kind of go, right, I'm just going to write for 10 minutes on this topic, see what I come up with. Mm. Um, when I actually want to write sharp one-liners, I'll use a computer. Mm-hmm. That's when I use the computer because sort of typing for some reason helps. But, yeah, if you've already got a bit, like you've got a lovely bit because I watched your set. Oh, yes. Because uh, oh, we when had we a gig, gig recently. Together. Yes. yes. Yeah. I did watch your set. I stayed behind to watch your set and then I ran <laughs> away at the end before the audience got up. Um You have a lovely bit about trying to get your child to put his shoes on. Oh, yeah. And you're singing the shoe song and everything. And I really enjoyed that bit of your endless kind of love yet frustration. Please just put your shoe on. And is there any way that you could take that bit and somehow reverse it what would be the reverse of that is it your child trying to persuade you to do something oh, is I it see. do you yes. see what i mean or yes, is yes, it yes. your child to your child or you decide not to put your shoes on
0: okay or something
1: yeah. i don't know so it's yes. it's kind of taking something that already exists and what is the negative of that but not bad negative
0: yes What's camera the, negative. yes yes got you like a camera negative of the bit that's really interesting i sometimes think i'm I could really benefit from more ability to think divergently like that. Like, as soon as you said, what's the opposite of that? I'd be like, well, the problem of that bit for me is uh, I get angry at my child when he won't do what he's told. So for me, the most obvious opposite is I am um, my child's a pushover and does everything really easily. But it's much more divergent and much funnier to think my child gets angry at me and do like kind of switch the roles and stuff like that. So that's great. Yes, very nice. And these are, and what's really interesting, is, and we started, before we wrap up, we, we started with you being methodical and having, I'm really glad we saw your uh, your different types of notebook there um, because the idea of you, like, learning the method and making notes during this interview and saying, ah, yes, you said this earlier and you've referred to those notes as we go. And then we've kind of come full circle, which I think is very structurally uh, appealing.
1: Oh, it's appealing to me. I do love a good structure. I do. I love different structures as well. And each show that I write, I I look at the structure and I think, all right, what do I want for this one? How do I want this one to look as a shape in my mind? And that's what helps me remember it as well.
0: Last one. Review yourself honestly, as if you're the reviewer. Let's have a couple of, let's have a sentence. What you think about Diane, if you were in the reviewer's seat watching you?
1: Uh, posh. Um, okay, so. I can't tell if she's wandered in from a stables. Um, I feel like a manor is missing the lady somewhere. (laughs) Uh, oh my God, rich people really are filthy, aren't they? Oh, I get is she like a Lady Chatterley novel, but a modern Lady Chatterley novel? Uh, does she? I get the impression that she sort of swans around her manor house doing filthy things all day, which is not a bad way to live. Um, that was in depth. I feel like I know a lot about this woman. I could probably be her gynecologist. Wow.
0: So that was Diane. You can catch up with everything Diane is up to at dianespencer.tv or indeed at youtube.com slash dianespencercomedian. And it really is worth having a proper noodle around that website. She's got so many different types of things on there. And as I said at the beginning, it's very inspiring and encouraging to see someone sees the reins so comprehensively. And I I love... You see that with people. I remember I was talking about brilliant Tom Allen recently and I remember a big turning point for him. He'll come back on the show before long um, and we'll get into this. But a big turning point for Tom, who is now massive and everywhere, was I think when he didn't have an agent and he managed to book himself onto 8 Out of 10 Cats Does Countdown. And it was one of those sea change moments, I guess, when someone went, no, do you know what? I'm going to do this myself. And I think Diane has got that energy. So I'm looking forward to seeing what she does next and how spectacular and massive she becomes. Now, that is that. Thank you to Diane for appearing on the show. Thank you to you. If you are on Twitter, if you go to uh, twitter.com at comcom, that's not how it works. You know how Twitter works. Go to comcompod. if you can, retweet the pinned tweet. Every week as these episodes are released, I will do a pinned tweet with a little clip of this. Do me a favour, help spread the show to uh, your friends and followers, um, and so you can retweet the pin tweet. So go there now and do that, and it will be up there by the time you do. I solemnly swear, Onion.com. Um, So there's that. Thank you to Diane. Thanks to you for listening. Thank you very much to Nathan Wood producing the show, Uh, Jake Crosland, who does the logging, and also to Rob Smouten, who does the music. Me and podcast consultant Peter Dobbing. In defiance of his will, he remains podcast consultant, and the pair of us are going together to South by Southwest. I cannot believe it until we are both on the plane, but I'm so excited about that if you're going to be in Austin, Texas, give us a shout. I have, I'm have, i having booking conversations with the wonderful South by Southwest people about who I might pod on your behalf while I'm out there. And so far, all of those conversations have been very exciting indeed. So keep an ear out. Not sure of the order, but next week or the week after, we've got Slim. Absolutely brilliant. We've got a cracking episode in the can as well with Callie Beaton. I found the lost episode, the K Trevor Wilson lost episode. I've got to give Trevor a shout and uh, find out what he's up to now. And remember, homework. Just watch episode one of Letter Kelly on YouTube and your mind will melt. It's so brilliant. Um, And and then we've got two sensational guests. We've got the brilliant Daniel Rigby coming up soon. And then Mr. Rob Deering is rejoining us taping that this week for episode 400 as we look back on 10 years of the Comedian's Comedian podcast and how much in love with the sound of my own voice I have become since then. I realised, OK, we're post ambling now. That's the end of the show. Here's the post (laughs) amble. So what I realised is that my, after my various dabbles with fame um, and dabbles, they were, they were legitimately dabbles, but they were only dabbles. Um, what I realised is that I long to be the quest is to be famous enough that when I meet people and have forgotten their name, they let me off the hook, but not so famous that anyone comes up and meets me. That's what I'm after. Now, I talked a little bit uh, before about um, being back in the saddle creatively. Oh, my God. Are there any problems in the world that comedy can't fix? Yes, almost all of them. But the one it can fix is the sense that one has not been doing much comedy for a while. I had such a it's been a really weird month. I think there have been moments this month where I felt like there have been moments for the in the pandemic for all of us, I know, who are uh creative and who whose kind of work was stymied oh blah blah I can't boring myself uh, pandemic schmandemic the point is I've been doing my nut is that more to the point I think that's more to the point and I feel like I'm coming out of it and the reason I'm coming out of it is I've been turning over material I've been nose to the grindstone shoulder to the Grinding wheel, and uh, and I've been working hard and doing stuff at Chops Comedy. If you're in Bristol, come to Chops every Tuesday night at Friendly Records on North Street. Um, that has been just an absolute lifeline, and I've been happily in that. What I always it always reminds me of the Frank Skinner technique in his first autobiography. He talks about running four gigs so that he could have some new material on a Monday night, make it better on a Tuesday, make it better on Wednesday, make it better on a Thursday, then go to London with it at the weekend. And I feel a little bit like I've been in that zone recently. And it is so satisfying, particularly when there are so many other things going on in all of our lives, I'm sure, but certainly in mine. Also, both children are now in childcare three and a half days a week. And oh my God, (laughs) you will, unless you got them. You're not going to understand. I don't think the absolute vastness, the scale of that. The boy is at school. The girl has got three and a half days a week. And I just, I keep finding myself with time in the week. I keep finding myself kind of going, God, when am I going to? Oh, I'll do that tomorrow. But how will I fit it? Oh, I'll do that tomorrow afternoon. It's unreal. So that, I suppose. I mean, it's not a coincidence, is it? That coupled with the gigs. And 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 a huge thank you to Mark Olver, by the way, for putting together Belly Laughs, which is a brilliant, brilliant initiative that he does in Bristol that would work in any city. And as soon as he gets around to it, I'm sure he'll do it literally everywhere. But um, it's a kind of a succession, a series of um, of charity gigs taking place in restaurants. It's just brilliant. And it's a magnificent way to kind of get your eye, get your eye back in if you've been off for a while. I turned up to a few of them rusty. And when I came out, I was no longer rusty. And anyway, my point is hooray for comedy and uh, hooray for you. And it's nice to be talking to you again. I've missed you. And um, as I mentioned obliquely earlier on, I think I might start doing series. Would you still love me, dear listener, if I said, right, I'm doing 10 of them and then we're having a month off and then I'm doing 10 of them and then we're having a month off or something like that, you know, numbers, TBC. Because I just think that if I keep wanging them out every week, I think I'm going to go mad and I ended up thinking oh it's 400 episodes 10 years might as well stop now and I think that feeling was informed by having gone mad from flogging episodes out every week I think I might slightly reduce the output and probably I don't necessarily mean improve the quality but certainly improve the quality of my bloody life. That'll do for now. Thank you for listening. It's lovely to be back. I hope you're all having a fantastic 2022, and uh, we will proceed excitedly in the run-up to episode 400, which, hey, hey, listen, I'm recording the thing on Thursday. Ah, you won't hear it before then. This will go out on Thursday, won't it? I'll jump in the Facebook group, and I'll see if anyone's got any ideas for some bells and whistles that I can sprinkle around the conference, format bells and whistles that I can uh, employ when conversing with Mr Rob Deering from from episode one. Can you remember? We did it live. The plan was in those days, the nascent plan was, hey, I should do these as a gig and I'll do them live. And I think the entire audience was my dear friends, Tom and Sarah. Um, They're married, but that was always going to happen. I can't claim responsibility for that. Love you. Goodbye. Speak to you next time.